0: Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all.
1: Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. My name is Rob Bartlett, and in this episode, I'm very happy to be joined again by our very own Molly Myers, Amplify's newest team member. Hello, Molly. Hello there. What's our topic for today?
2: Uh, Today's topic is piping requirements for pressure relief devices.
1: Piping requirements? I thought we'd just have to throw a safety valve on there and we're good. There's actually stuff we have to do with the piping.
2: Uh, yeah, there are a lot of specific requirements for piping for relief valves. Um, okay.
1: And that so we're gonna be focusing mostly on on the requirements related to relief valves um, yes. rather than eruptus or other other relief leaving devices. okay. So I think everybody knows that we have there's requirements for the pressure relieving devices themselves. But for the piping requirements, where do we go for for RAGA for that? So, and, and for any listeners who may not be familiar what the term RAGAGAP means, it is uh, it's a term that we use uh, that means recognized and generally accepted good engineering practices, uh, and it comes to us for, uh, from the mechanical integrity requirements in PSM and uh, and EPA's risk management program. So. Circling back from all of that to ask the question again, where do we go for the ragged gap for piping requirements, Molly?
2: Okay, so a lot of the requirements come from ASME Section 8, the pressure vessel code that covers the relief devices that you put onto these pressure vessels to protect them from overpressure. Additional information in ragged gap can be found in API 520, that's the uh, standard for sizing, selection, and installation of pressure relieving devices. Um, okay. In particular, part two is the section of the code or the standard that covers installation for relief devices.
1: And that's where the piping requirements are gonna be found, okay.
2: Yes, so, so the part two of API 520 and also in yes. an ASME section eight
1: is this where is you'll find a more.
2: lot of those requirements.
1: Okay. All right. So we've got an ASME and an API standard that kind of talks about requirements for piping. So can you give us some examples? What are some requirements that folks should be um, thinking of when they're when they're looking at installing uh, not just the device itself, but also the piping? What are some of the requirements?
2: Yeah, so uh, one of them is that all of the isolation valves uh, that are on an inlet to a relief valve have to be full port. Uh, So sometimes people might use like a a gate valve or a plug valve or something like that if they want to isolate it for maintenance purposes. But you have to make sure that you use either full port valves or you have to have them Sized much larger than the inlet to the relief valve, so that the opening is no smaller than the inlet to the relief valve itself.
1: Okay, so, that, uh, so that that's a specific pretty, item for the valves. That seems pretty reasonable, right? Because we don't we know the whole thing about relieving pressure is we've got to get it out of the system as quickly as we can, and we certainly don't want a valve partially opened throttling that pressure relief, right, Upst- upstream of our safety valve.
2: Correct. And then one other interesting piece of information is that if you're using gate valves Mm -hmm. on the inlet or outlet, you have to make sure that the stem on the valve is not pointing up. It needs to be pointing sideways. Why is that? Uh, (laughs) The reason is if there were a mechanical failure internal to the valve and Ah. the stem is pointing up, gravity would pull the stem down Down. yes blocking your flow and you wouldn't realize it so there's a specific requirement in uh, the code that says if you're using gate valves you must have those stems oriented no more than horizontal and that's what they call valve failure controls in the asme appendix m
1: okay so upstream valves Mm Full port, got it. What else we got for requirements?
2: So if you do put valves on the inlet and outlet of a relief device, um, you also have to make sure that they are locked open anytime that they're in service, and you need to have a policy or administrative controls that governs the use of those locks to ensure that not just anybody can go out there pull the lock or cut a car seal and close the valve. You have to have a specific procedure that manages those and you have
1: oversight to make sure that those are open when they need to be open. So I can't just throw my bike lock on there and say, and call it good. I've got to actually have a program, which says, I, I mean, that sounds a lot like lockout tag out to me.
0: Um, it is we've very got to have similar.
1: a program for, for that, but th- this would be a separate, Yet, similar program to manage where the locks are, to make sure that they're on when they're supposed to be. If they're removed, to make sure, I'm assuming, to make sure they go back on when they're before you start back up, whatever. Okay.
2: Yeah. So, lockout, tagout is kind of key when you're doing maintenance on equipment. Um, In this case, the critical point is while it's in service,
1: not while it's down for maintenance. And so,
2: you have to make sure that they're open when they need to be open.
1: Okay. All right. What other requirements do we have? This is I, I know this is kind of going through a, a bit of a checklist, but uh, so what, what would be another thing that we'd look at?
2: Yeah. So something else uh, to keep in mind is that not only do the valves have to be full port, but everything on the inlet to the relief valve has to be at least as big as the inlet connection on the relief valve. So in other words, if you have a three by four relief valve all of your inlet piping and fittings and so forth between your equipment and the relief valve have to be at least three inch. Okay. You can't so I can have any four, I restrictions. Can go,
1: I can go four inch, but I can't go, can go two You can go four
2: inch. inch. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
2: And then if you happen to have, say, distillation column or something like that, where you have multiple relief valves, mm-hmm. so you may have three or four of them all on a overhead line, you need to kind of add up the inlet sizes of all of those individual relief valves and make sure the cross-sectional area of your header that leads to all of those is at least that big or bigger.
0: Ah,
2: So you have to look at all of the individual valves that are working together and make sure that those have enough flow area to get to all of them.
1: Right. Again, because the flow area is vital for making sure that we relieve that pressure. Okay. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So, yep. You know, it's,
1: it's it's funny. A lot of these, you, you know, you, when you think of them, well, they, they seem pretty much common sense. But how many times do you go into a, into a place and find that that there's a that there's a valve upstream that's in, improperly installed or, you know, or piping isn't isn't uh, isn't adequately um, installed? Uh, OK, yes. so what else what else we got?
2: So then there are also a lot of requirements for pressure drop the inlet pressure drop. So uh, not only do you need to make sure that the piping meets these very specific requirements, but you need to actually look at the hydraulics of the system to make sure that when you need that relief valve, you can actually get enough flow to it for it to operate effectively.
1: And that seems to me like that's always been what I've assumed to be like kind of the most important or intricate, I guess, part mm-hmm. of the process of, of designing and installing these systems is making sure that with the back pressure, primarily on the discharge side, but obviously we've talked a little about the suction side or the, the upstream side, but the back pressure from, you know, all the piping, you know, depending mm-hmm. on how far it has to go and wh- what system it's it's relieving into and all that. So, how is that, how, how do we do that?
2: It's interesting that you bring up the, uh, looking at the Discharge pressure, uh, yeah. that is also important, but you've got a lot more leeway usually on the discharge pressure than you do on the suction side. Interesting. Um, okay. Depend on the type of relief valve that you're using. Your discharge pressure drop could be limited to maybe ten percent uh, if you're using a conventional relief valve. Um, if you're using a bellows, you could go up to you know easily fifty percent. Pilots, okay. you could go up to more than that on the inlet side, and these are all percentage of the set pressure. On okay. the inlet side, you're limited to three percent.
1: Oh. So three. you're
2: yes. So yes. so
1: you can be fifty or more on the discharge side, depending on what kind of valve, but it's three percent of the
2: set uh, pressure
1: of the set pressure of the of the the uh, safety valve. Okay, got it. Yes, 3%.
2: yes. So so you've got a the, lot tighter the, requirements.
1: And I mean. What's the reason for that? Because if I'm if I, I'm think, I, I'm primarily just thinking like, hey, like like all the pressure drop is important. Why is the inlet pressure drop so much more important?
2: So if the pressure drop on the inlet is too high, you can end up with uh, valve chatter, which ah. would damage the valve and also hinder its uh, throughput. Right. So what happens sometimes if you have too much pressure drop is your pressure will build up. Your relief valve opens at its set pressure, it yeah. starts to flow, you have too much pressure drop in that line, and the pressure declines, so the valve closes. Right. Then the pressure builds up, you start flowing, it opens and that's the
1: and that's the chatter. As it opens and closes, opens and closes. So the exactly. whole idea is 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 we wanna open it until we're out of the high pressure situation not until the pressure drops a a small amount and then it recedes exactly yep right right okay all right well that that makes sense so what uh any any other requirements come to mind
2: so those are the the biggies um when you're trying to get that pressure drop to meet those criteria one thing that I found is that that piping design really needs to be an iterative process with your piping designers. Okay. So when you're doing a new installation, a lot of times your project engineer, project manager says, okay, my designers, you come up with what you want on your PNIDs. You list your pipe sizes, you list your devices, and then you freeze your PNIDs. You're all done wash your hands, hand it over the uh, wall to the piping over designers, the yep. <laughs> yep. exactly. The piping designers take a look at the field. They figure out where it makes sense to put stuff and yep. they put it in and away they go. Right. Unfortunately, because the requirements are so tight, you need to cycle back through. And so the piping designer may lay it out and say, well, it makes sense to put this relief valve up high you want everything to drain on the inlet and outlet, be free draining from the relief valve. But that means maybe they put it up in a rack or off of another piece of equipment platform. And then to get there,
1: you've got a bunch of
2: elbows and fittings <laughs> and tees yep. and yeah. you name it.
1: All of that's then, affecting your back pressures and all that stuff. And your and, flow path. and,
2: and your inlet pressure drops and so yep. forth. And so then sometimes they'll come up with their layout come back to you and say, you know, how does this look? You do your hydraulic calculations and realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm at (laughs) 7% pressure drop. So then you've got to cycle back with the piping designer and say, well, can we upsize this piping? Can we minimize the fittings? Can we change things around and put your process line on the T branch side as opposed to the run? And then... Mm. Put my relief valve on the run side of the T, jockey things around quite a bit, uh, which the project engineers don't like because that means you're changing your P&IDs. So now instead of a three-inch line, maybe we need a six-inch line.
1: Right.
0: Um,
2: Right. But it's very critical to make sure that you cycle back and get those pressure drops correct or your relief device isn't going to work like it should.
1: Right. Which which is uh, obviously the, the goal when that when your pressure gets too high, you don't want to be saying, oh, boy, we put it in the wrong place and, and our our side, our, our inlet side uh, pressure drop is too high. Right. Um, OK, so we've talked a little bit about piping layout. Um, mm-hmm. Let's move on. Let's move on to that. Um, so what are you know, any tips for uh, for that, so I mean, one of them we'll start off with is, you know, have an iterative relationship with your between your design and your uh, and your piping people. But what right. other uh, what other tips might you have? So
2: as I mentioned before, you want everything to be free draining so yep. that you okay. don't have any liquid pockets uh, build up that could create pressure drop or freeze problems or anything like that on both the inlet and outlet sides. Obviously, your relief devices need to be mounted in the vertical. Orientation, so the spring needs to be pointed up. You don't want to put these on their side. So also, you're going to want to make sure that you route your discharge to a safe location.
1: Okay. So we'll talk about that because I've had mm -hmm. I've had um, multiple uh, situations where I've gone into a plant and you know they've got a safety valve or even a rupture disc that. You know, the pipe comes out and goosenecks down to the floor right next to the reactor or something like that. <laughs> and then we get into uh, what is it and is that a safe location everything. So so what's the definition of a safe location for for pressure relief?
2: Well, I would say it depends on what you're handling. Okay. Um, you know, if it's gas, especially if it's toxic, you're going to want to route it away from people and up mm-hmm. in the air so that it'll disperse. Um, If you have flare systems, you know, put it in a contained system. That's ideal, but -hmm. not everybody has those. So you're going to want to make sure that if it's a vapor release, that you put it preferably outside, up in the air, and make use of natural ventilation. Mm -hmm. If it's a liquid, then you're going to want to route it to grade. Uh, You don't want to be spewing liquid that could be flammable or whatever, all over the place from an elevated location.
1: So it's so, going to depend
2: on what you're handling.
1: So what about what about if you if you discharge to say a knockout pot, some sort mm-hmm. of vessel where you're going to you're going to have some liquid vapor separation, let's say it's a let's just say it's a it's a flammable. So you're yep. going to have you're going to put it into some sort of a vessel which will have a vent which will mm-hmm. then allow liquid stays in there. The vapor goes out. Hopefully it doesn't ignite. So there's the whole ignition aspect of that. But right. the point that the, the point of my question is really focusing on the vessel itself. That's going to be important for our pressure calculations, right? Yes. For, for sizing, yep. right? Yep. So how does account? that, yeah. So how does that, how does that play into the whole process?
2: Well, it, it's just part of the yeah. typical discharge pressure drops. So no matter where you're routing it to, you're going to need to look at the hydraulics on that whole discharge side, okay. uh, whether it's going into knockout pot, whether it's going to an atmospheric uh, stack, or whether it's going into a flare system. You're going to want to look at the hydraulics of that and make sure that you don't put back pressure on the relief valve. problem there is if you have too much back pressure on a relief valve, then it could cause it to close back off Right. unexpectedly
1: what you don't what what you don't want and now cuz you tr- as we said before trying to get that trying to get the pressure out of out of the vessel okay so we've talked a little bit about about the piping and and the situation and the calculations and all that mm-hmm. how how do we do all this i mean I, are you sitting there with your with your pad of paper doing all your calculations with a slide rule or or how does this get done
2: oh i hope not <laughs> Yeah, there there are a lot of software packages that you can use that do hydraulic calculations. And Any it's nothing examples? the one that I've used before is a software package called iPrism. There are other packages. Aspen has some packages with HISIS. There's nothing particularly magical about the hydraulic pressure drops. Anything that can look at your chemical composition, your physical information, like your densities, your viscosities, your pipe sizes, your pipe roughness, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So yeah. okay, it's fairly typical uh, hydraulic calcs.
1: All right, cool. So here's, here's a question for you that I've actually had some folks come to me and ask, do I need to have calculations for all of my relief devices or there's some types of relief devices that I don't actually need to have documented calculations for?
2: I would say you need the calculations for everything except for a small thermal relief valve. Uh, So because a thermal relief valve that's designed to go on a liquid full system and it's just addressing the liquid expansion that you get when say a pipeline is exposed to you know, hot summer day or something like that, yeah. the amount of volume that you need to relieve to control your pressure is very is,
1: minuscule. Is tiny, it's tiny, right? It's
2: negligible.
1: Yeah.
2: And so yeah. there is a provision in the code that says pretty much any size relief valve in that situation is okay. okay. Uh, so you don't need to have calculations for a thermal relief valve okay. uh, for capacity or pressure drop. Because okay. it's going to open, it's going to spit just a little bit, and it's going to close again.
1: Right. It's not a high pressure, constant high pressure relief. As soon as that that pressure is relieved, it's going to reseat or, you know, at right. least stop coming out, and that's and that's going to be it. The, so, the only
2: exception to that is if yeah. you've got a thermal relief valve on a very large piece of pipe that okay. may be, you know, thousands of feet long or something like ah. that. Okay. that your volume may be more significant then it may be worthwhile doing some uh, actual thermal expansion calculations all
1: right okay so but if i'm in, if i'm out in the plant if if i see a safety valve on a steam line if i see a safety valve on a You know, raw material supply line or protecting reactors, protecting pump systems, all that stuff. We should be looking at all of this, all these sorts of issues related to piping and and the back pressure calculations for all of those situations, right?
2: Right, right. And the one thing that is often defining when you're looking at a thermal relief valve is that they're small. They're usually three quarter by one inch at the largest sometimes they're half inch by half inch. They're little things. If you're talking about any larger relief valve, then yeah, you definitely should be looking for all of those calculations. And even some of those little ones. Uh, Sometimes you can have a three quarter by one that's designed for an external fire or some small relief case. And Mm -hmm. there you do need to have the calcs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there's obviously, this is obviously a, a much, a very deep topic that, that we could spend a lot, a lot of time on when, and my, I think our goal here was just to hit kind of some of the major, uh, what well, our goal really was to get people thinking about these things yes. and then also just to hit some of the major issues. So anything in your mind that we missed that is, is worthwhile for people to know about?
2: Just one last thing I'd like to mention is when you're talking about routing discharges to a safe location is if you happen to have a bellows relief valve, there's a vent on the bonnet of those relief valves that needs to be open to atmosphere to make those work correctly. Okay. And that needs to be routed to a safe location just like the discharge does. Now, that's a very small fitting. It's like a three-eighths inch, I think, or quarter-inch yeah. connection. Yeah. And a lot of times people just put a little bug screen threaded into the bonnet of those bellows relief valves so that it, it breathes.
1: Yeah.
2: But if the discharge of the relief valve is routed somewhere that's under pressure that maybe has liquid that could come back if there's a failure in the bellows, yeah. that could result in leak coming out of that bellows vent. And right. so you may want to consider routing that bellows vent to grade if you could have liquid leak through. Well, Most it of the time... On it
1: depends on what it is, I'm sure, right?
2: It It is, exactly. Yep. So if your bellows is intact, nothing comes out of that port. Okay. But if you had a failure in the relief valve, you could. And so you need to consider that and make sure that, you know, if it's handling toxics, for instance... You may want to put a little bit of tubing off of that, because usually a relief valve may be mounted on a platform or something like that where mm-hmm. a mechanic or somebody could get up to it and check it, look at the nameplate and so forth. You don't want that uh, vent to be right there in their breathing zone no. if there were a leak. Right. So yeah. sometimes people will put a you know, three or four foot uh, piece of pipe on there just to get it out of the way of that platform. Should
1: right. something go wrong? Okay, the number of times where where I've come across venting safety valves on platforms or other places where I mean the intent is good. Hey, I want my maintenance folks to be easily able to maintain it and inspect it and all that. However, you've just created a a potential uh, a potential incident by having uh, having situation where personnel are near the discharge. So, so going right. to that safe location is certainly something that's important. And also not, we're, we're, we're not talking about uh, PHA's process hazards analyses in in this uh, per se, but one of the things that is a best practice in my mind is that if you are doing a PHA that requires the use of a a, a scenario that requires the use of a, of a relief device, consider including in the PHA a scenario that looks at that relief device actually being used and therefore the discharge coming out wherever that is. And that may be the case where you might say, oh, that relieves on the top of the tank and every, you know, and twice an hour, we've got folks up there checking the tank level or something. And now you have, now you have, maybe you have, you've prevented blowing up the tank because you've. You've used your safety device, your PRD, but you could potentially, you know, gas someone or have a flammable mm-hmm. incident or something like that. So, right. I've um, seen the
2: similar sort of thing where people route relief devices up outside of a building and out on the roof. Yes. But then they want to make sure that they've got a roof access permit set up so that they know if anybody's up on the roof, if they have um, a process upset, to
1: alert them right away. Or not to go off on PHA examples here, but or if they vent to the roof and it's a flammable, and there's HVAC equipment that is not electrically rated. I've had that yeah. had that happen too. Luckily, I haven't been involved in an incident related to that. But certainly, when I've asked the question, okay, this this safety valve goes off, what happens? Oh, it discharges to the roof. Oh, great, we've got toluene on the roof. That probably isn't a good thing. Oh yeah, right. that's right. That's right next to our <laughs> air intake for the building or I don't know, something like that. Right. So, right. Okay. Well, I think we've probably gone, um, as deep as we wanted to in this episode and we, we may come back to this topic again in the future, uh, especially given your expertise in this area. So any closing words about PRDs related to piping requirements as we've been talking about today?
2: Nope. just make sure that you uh, pay attention, get them piped up correctly uh, per the Ragged Gap standards, and uh, pay attention to it.
1: Well, and yeah, pay attention, and and as with most things with PSM and and process safety, there's a lot of details, and success here requires attention to those to that those sorts of details. So exactly, uh, very good. Well, thank you, Molly. Been a pleasure as always. And as always, we do appreciate you in the audience listening to our podcast. If you are listening off of our website and you want to take us on the go, then you can find us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform that's out there. If you do have any comments about this week's episode, an idea for a future episode, or a question about anything process safety related, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us a voice message using the link in our episode description, or you can feel free to shoot us an email. At podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. And with that, for Molly, I will say goodbye until the next episode. And in the meantime, be safe out there.